You're listening to the Keep Writing Podcast, a resource for Christians who want to write their first book and then more so they can lead their readers into true spiritual freedom while at the same time leading their own families into true financial freedom. I'm Nika Maples. Many new writers become anxious when they sit down to write. They feel an overwhelming tension, even a tightening of the chest and throat, maybe a headache. In today's episode, I share what I choose to do when that happens to me. And, by the way, if you sometimes struggle with the latest headlines in global news, then this may be something you can apply there too. But first, friend, you enjoy this podcast And I've created a place where you can get helpful advice for finishing, publishing, and marketing that beautiful book on your heart. It's all inside my new free private Facebook group called Write for Impact. In this episode, I'm giving you a sneak peek inside that group where every Wednesday I go live to answer questions that have been submitted by members and to present a message called Wish I Knew because there's so much that I wish I knew at the beginning of my writing journey. Today, I'm inviting you to eavesdrop on that message. This is episode 87, Focus on the Light. If you would like to stay calm while you write, if that's something you need to know more about, will you say, yes, that's me. That's me in the chat. I want to stay calm when I write. Because a lot of times what we do is we get a little anxious. We, We get worked up when we sit down to write. And it almost derails us from the real process of writing. So... I want to draw our attention to to Isaiah 36. I will summarize it because Isaiah 36 is a long chapter with lots of names. You know, sometimes the Bible uses a lot of names and places. And it's like, did you have to, couldn't you just, you've used Harry and Sam and Michael, simple names with their big names. So I'll summarize it for you. Okay. King Hezekiah of Judah is protecting this, this, this city, God's people, the Israelites. They're all in this fortress. And here come the Assyrians. And their king, King Sennacherib, wanted to attack and destroy the Israelites, God's people. And so Hezekiah sent out three kingdom advisors we'll call them like the secretary of state the you know the person in charge of the cia the department of defense it'd be like that they come forward they come on the wall and they say what do you want because king sennacherib had sent his secretary of state or his general commander whoever it was to come to the wall and say we're going to attack we're going to destroy you so he was talking a lot of trash he said things like, "You, we're going to make it so bad for you when we destroy you that you're going to eat your own waste. 
That's about the worst thing I can imagine. And when it comes to talking trash, he really knew how to get at them. And the three kingdom advisors that King Hezekiah sent, the good guys, they said, why are you doing this? Why are you talking in Hebrew, the language that we all can understand? Will you just please talk to us in Aramaic? Because we are educated people from the kingdom. We can speak Aramaic. Don't scare the people by speaking Hebrew. And the evil advisor said, why do you think I'm speaking in Hebrew. I want them to hear me. He wanted them to hear him speaking in their language so that they would be afraid. Now, why this has to do with you and your writing career is because we have an enemy who would love nothing more for the people that you're writing to, to never hear your voice. He wants the people that you're writing to, to never, ever hear what you have to say. And so every time you sit down at the computer, he comes up to you and talks trash. Like if you publish this book, guess what? Um, I'm going to make your life miserable because people are not going to want to read it. You're going to be rejected. You're going to lose family and friends over this. He gives all of these scenarios. And when you sit down, you're like, all I wanted to do was put a few sentences on paper. But right now I'm picturing this whole scenario of what could happen to me if I try to write this book. Like I might even never finish because I don't even know what I'm doing. He talks to you in your own language. So he won't say the same thing to me that he's saying to you. And he won't say the same thing to somebody else in this group that he's saying to you because he talks to each of us in our own language. He knows what I'm afraid of. He knows what you're afraid of. He knows what the person next to you is afraid of. And he's going to say, hey, you know what? Well, this could happen to you and this could happen to you and this could happen to you. And he's speaking in our own language of fear but we don't have to listen to him. We don't have to listen to him. Oh, my light came unplugged. Let me plug it in again. Um, but we don't have to listen to him because guess what the rest of that marvelous story in Isaiah 36 says? It says that the people, the common people who were hearing all this trash talk, the common people decided to says they held their peace they held their peace they didn't say a word why did they not say a word because king hezekiah had instructed them if you hear things that frighten you don't say a word don't respond and they held their peace well so this old testament story that is you know one that was often overlooked i feel like there's a lot in there for us as writers because when the enemy comes talking trash at us about all the reasons why we shouldn't write a book and he's speaking in our own language, how many of us hold our peace? Hold on to our peace. John 14, 27 says, Jesus said to his disciples, <clears throat> my peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you. I give not as the world gives, but you See all this around you and your heart doesn't have to be troubled. That's what he says. In John 16, 33, he says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. 
So if Jesus is saying, take heart of overcome the world, and if he's saying, I leave my peace with you, my peace I give to you, then we already have the gift of peace, but some of us aren't holding it. We are holding our peace. Like in that Old Testament story, they held their peace. We know that that's a idiom. To hold your peace means to be quiet and to not say anything. But a lot of times what we do as Christians is we just listen. We don't even have to say anything. We just listen to the things that scare us. And it's a way of not holding on to our peace. Your, listen to me, I, this is the wish I knew for today. I wish I knew that my best decisions were made from a place of calm. So if I could go back to the beginning of my writing journey when I was 20 years old. I would have learned my best decisions are made from a place of calm. And I would have learned, I would have practiced how to hold my peace. When all the rest of the world is crumbling, when, when the enemy's talking trash to me, I hold my peace. Jesus gave it to me. It's my gift. I have it. I want it. I keep it. So here's a simple symbol, sometimes the most simple symbols are really life-giving to us. The other day, a friend of mine, a friend of mine and I were, were talking and um, we ended up talking about all the things going on in the world. Things going on in Afghanistan, things going on with vaccinations, things going on with people we know that are sick, things going on with all kinds of things that are frightening. And I felt myself getting worked up. All of these chemicals and hormones were being released in my body, the fight or flight, um, the chemicals and hormones that make me want to just crawl out of my skin because I'm so afraid. And I said to her, I can't talk about this anymore. I simply can't because I'm not holding my peace. I think there are six, six days a week when we can talk about all the reality but maybe the seventh day, we should really obey God and take a Sabbath and not, not look into, not examine, not think about the, the reasons to be afraid. Let's think about the reasons we have to walk in faith. And she had a candle there and she said, let's make a deal. I'm going to light this candle. It wasn't this candle. She had a pretty one. She said, um, I'm going to light this candle. And as soon as we light it, we're going to remember that Jesus is the light of the world. It says in John 1, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can't overcome it. She said, when I light this candle, let's, let's focus on the light. Let's use this as a symbol to focus on the light and not on all this darkness. What are we doing? We're focusing on all the darkness. There's a time to, to face reality and talk about the real things that are happening around us, but can't we take a Sabbath and one day a week focus on the light of Jesus? I said, it's a deal. So she lit the candle and we focused on the light. Oh, oh. some smoke coming off that. I don't have scissors to cut the wick shorter. I, I wanna encourage you right now with this symbol in my hand, Focus on the light. When you sit down to write, ooh, it's a rhyme. You know, I love a rhyme. When you sit down to write, focus on the light. I want you to put that in the comments right now. 
make a declaration over your life. But when I, whether you're live or if you're on the replay, take a step to make a declaration of, of, over your life and say, when I sit down to write, I will focus on the light. Put it in the comments. When I sit down to, to write, I will focus on the light. Hold your peace. The enemy can come and talk trash all he wants. You, however, are focusing on the light. And you recognize that doubt and discouragement and disappointment and discomfort, all of that is just part of being a writer. You're in the right place. So I wanted to leave you with that. Make your decisions from a place of calm. Make your decisions from a place of calm. All right, so <clears throat> I have some questions to answer. We have three questions that were popped in my little question box yesterday. Um, the day before I do a Facebook Live in here, I'll just put a little, like I put tomorrow, I'll be doing a Facebook Live, drop your questions below. And I got three questions. So anytime, week to week, week to week, you can always ask your questions. Um, and I will find them. Okay, so Jennifer asks, when you get stuck on the next step for a book, what are the same, some of the things you do to process this? Jennifer, I found that getting stuck on the next step for a book. Well, first of all, now that I read next step, I'm not exactly sure what you mean, because I don't know I don't know if you mean the next step after you finish it or the next step after you, like when you're going from chapter to chapter. I'm gonna go with my first interpretation of this. When I read this last night, I thought, I think she's asking what's the next step? Like if you're stuck on one chapter, how do you move the next? So I'll answer it the way I interpreted it. If you meant it a different way, a different next step that you're talking about, you can ask me next week. So generally, if I am, I don't get stuck. I'll tell you why I don't get stuck moving from chapter to chapter, because I have a system. I used to get stuck moving from chapter to chapter, and it's because I was trying to write my book sequentially. I was like from page one to the last page and like, there were some chapters I didn't feel like writing. So they were like empty. I would come to it and be like, I don't feel like writing this. And I don't even, I'm not even inspired to write this. So how am I going to write this? And I would be stuck, but I don't get stuck anymore because I've developed a system and people in my writing course learn this, that we set up our document with a document map on the side so that we can put the whole outline and all the chapters in the document. And then that way you follow the Holy Spirit's leading and just your natural inclination of what you want to write on a given day. And you, when you wake up in the morning and you, or you sit down to write in the afternoon or whenever you just say, okay, I feel like writing chapter 14. And because you have that document map, you go to chapter 14 and that's what you write. I want to say to everyone, you do not have to write a book from page one to the end. I always can tell when someone has written their book from page one to the end, because it's really strong at the beginning and then it gets kind of weak. And plenty of people publish books this way, but it gets kind of weak at the end. And it's because they weren't, they ran out of steam. But if you learn to write the next chapter that you feel called to write, that you are inspired to write, that you have energy to write, you just go directly there. You might write chapter two, 
chapter 20, chapter four, chapter 15. You just move around. That's why I don't get stuck. And my students go, don't get stuck either because they recognize I always have some place to go. I also think the thing that stops people from getting stuck is working with a coach. So you, in this group, you have me every Wednesday to coach you. And in my writing program, you have me every Monday. So you can get so much coaching from a certified coach. If you're ever stuck, you bring it to me and say, okay, here's how I'm stuck and here's why. And I will coach you through it. Having a certified life coach who is specifically equipped to help writers changes the game. It changes the game because then you always have a place to go for encouragement. Um, so next question. Oh, and by the way, I saw a couple of um, comments. Deanna said, I needed this today about focusing on the light. I feel pretty, I felt pretty doubt, doubtful yesterday trying to write. Thank you. I'm so glad I woke up this morning. I just felt like maybe it's because you notice it's gotten lighter in here since I started this video. But when I first started, it was thundering and it was pitch black in here. And I was like, I really want to talk about the importance of light to my writers in my group today and um, focusing on the light that Jesus is with you as you write. So I'm glad that helped you. Maybe it was just for you, but we're going to focus on the light. And I just love that the light dawned as I was talking. It's like a slow change when you start feeling the Lord lead you and refresh you um, as you write. And you'll notice, wait, all of a sudden it doesn't feel so dark and heavy anymore. I'm not feeling the same level of doubt. But just recognize doubt is part of the process. So you're in the right place and you're feeling what every single writer feels. Even writers like Beth Moore, Priscilla Shirer, and those people feel doubt at times. Next question from Jennifer. Will you speak to book proposals and query letters and when this is an appropriate time in the process, et cetera? Any helpful hits? Thank you. Okay, so here's my thoughts on book proposals and query letters. If you don't know what a book proposal is, for those listening, a book proposal is about a 40-page document um, that is a selling tool. It's a 40 page document that is a one big package used as a selling tool. You sell your book to a literary agent with this 40 page document and they use the 40 page document to sell your book to a publisher. It's a selling tool. So a book proposal needs to be created when you have enough information in your book to create it. So you would never be able to write 40 pages um, about just an idea you have for a book. You have to be pretty far along in the process. I, in my experience, agents don't even want to see it until you've written most of the book. So you have to be at least halfway through the book before you write a book proposal and send it to an agent. Um, so a book proposal has so many components. And one of the components is you have to include a chapter outline. So you have to have your full chapter outline, I mean, full book outline. Then you have to do a chapter by chapter synopsis and a chapter by chapter synopsis is every single chapter in the book. You have to write 150 words about that chapter. What is this chapter about? Tell me in 150 words. It's like a little paragraph. 
if you don't know every bit of what is going to be in your book, you won't be able to do the chapter by chapter synopsis. And then you have to include three completely written, edited and proofread chapters. They could be, they don't have to be the first three chapters of the book. It could be first chapter, middle chapter and end chapter. If you want, it doesn't matter, but you, since you have to, in a book proposal, include a full book outline, a chapter by chapter synopsis and three complete chapters. A book proposal is harder than writing the book itself, in my opinion, because it's a selling tool. It's how you can sell this book. And I, I find it harder than writing the book itself. So I would just say, uh, the time to do it is when you're about halfway finished with the book. And then you're like, I already know what the rest of the book is going to be. I can do 150 words about every single chapter I'm writing. And that's when you would send it. Now you asked me to mention query letters. Um, so query letters comes first, usually, but you're going to have to, you pick a literary agent that you want and then you read their submission guidelines because every literary agent is different. So, some, uh, one literary agent that I was interested in the other day said, just go ahead and send me your book proposal. That's what her submission guideline said. It said, write me a little friendly query letter in the body of the email and then attach your book proposal in a word document. And so I did. But then the same day I sent it to an, I, I queried another agent and her, her submission guidelines were just send me a query letter in the body of the email, no attachments whatsoever. And if I want your book proposal, I will ask for it. So she asked for it. I mean, the one that I sent the whole book proposal to, she actually never responded to me at all. And it passed the window of when she said she would respond. So uh, when a literary agent, they will usually say, if I don't respond in six weeks, it means that's a no. Yeah, so that happens sometimes. So she, she we passed the window, so I knew it was a no for her. And then with the other one, um, she I, I sent her just a query like she asked, which is just a friendly cover letter almost the way you would interview for a job and um, plenty of examples online for you to look up and sent the query letter. And she said, go ahead and send me a book proposal. And I followed up and sent her the book proposal that day. The next day she said, ah, I'm going to pass on this one. So I got two no's in two different ways. I got the no that just passed a window and it was silence. That's one way of having a no. And the other no that she actually responded and said, no, thank you. So either way, it's fine. That's what happens. You, you, you have to get uh, very accustomed to shopping around. You're selling something. Don't expect that the first person you send it to is going to want it. Please don't expect that. You got to just be like, oh, okay, this is what I do as a writer. I send it around. Sometimes I hear no. In fact, most of the time I hear no. So this is part of being a writer. Trust me. It is. So uh, let's see. And Deanna asks, at what point should you begin building an audience or platform before the book is done or after it is published? So an audience or a platform, I want you to think of a platform as a stage. It's a stage. And 
when you stand on a stage to give a message, who's in the audience? That's what a platform is. Because I, believe me, I have spoken, I have had speaking engagements that nobody came to. I, I can think of one in particular that was supposed to be a really big speaking engagement. And it was in Houston at this the Houston Convention Center, and they had put me in this huge room. I was a breakout speaker for this National English Teacher Convention, and they put me in this room that had stadium seating. I was like, wow, I've never been in a room like this, and guess how many people came? Two. So I was in this huge room, and my voice was echoing off the walls. And for 45 minutes, I taught to two people and they weren't even sitting close to the bottom. They chose to sit toward the top of the stadium seating. So I was like, really, <laughs> it felt lonely to be on that stage. That's what your platform is. Is it just, it's a lonely stage if you don't have anybody there listening. So when you want to sell a book, and you say, I want to sell this book. Hey, everyone, I have a new book. Here's my new book. And when your voice is echoing off the walls, no one's going to buy the book. You have to have people there who are going to buy it. So that's the importance of a platform. I used to think it, it used to hurt my feelings really bad because I was like, all these people want me to have a platform and they won't publish my book. They're so interested in the platform. I thought it was all about popularity. I'm like, I'm not very popular. And just because I'm not popular, this reminded me of high school when I was supposed to be popular. And if you want any, all the good things in life, you have to be popular and I'm not popular. So I'm not getting these uh, book contracts. Then I, then I realized books were a business. It took me a long time. It's talk about wish I knew. I wish I had known that books were a business and I didn't understand it then. I thought books were emotional, but books are not emotional. After the transaction, they engage emotions and they cause transformation for the kingdom of God. But you aren't even going to get it into somebody's hands for that transformation without the business aspect. So the importance of a platform is in that book proposal, which I told you was a selling tool in that 40 page document that is a selling tool in that book proposal, you have to tell the size of your platform. And here's the calculation of what a publisher is looking for. Nobody's ever said this to me. I just know it. I was like, how did the, how big does my platform have to be? I, I finally now have taken enough business courses and been in business masterminds to finally know the formula. For every 100 people that you offer something to, three of them will buy it. For every, this is consistent in any sales. Whenever you offer something to 100 people, three of those 100 people will buy it. 97 people will walk away and never make a purchase. So that tells you about the size of your platform and how big it is needs to be. How many books do you want to sell? If you are followed on Facebook by 500 people, you are going to sell 15 books. That's the formula. Because for every hundred, it's three people. So you'll sell 15 books. And so a publisher looks at the platform that is talked about in your book proposal. 
And they're like, how much can we sell? Because books are a business to them. They're like, how many books can we sell with this writer? And they look at it and they're like, oh, she's going to sell 15. Well, we can't invest in her because we would end up losing money. We'll lose money if we invest here because she won't sell, you know, 5,000. We need her to sell 5,000. So that's what the importance of the platform is. It's not rejecting or accepting you based on popularity. It's not rejecting or accepting you based on, um, you know, it's not just about bigger is better. It's about how many books can we sell? And if you sell three for every 100 people, then that gives you a sense of where you need to work to fill up your room, to fill up your room. Because when you stand on a stage and, and social media is your stage and you say, hey, I've got a new book here. It's, it's excellent. I want to share it with you. I don't even have a book here on my desk. <laughs> hey, I've got a new book here. I can't wait to tell you all about it. And um, this is kind of what's inside and you're going to love it. If you're not speaking to very many people, then you won't have very many sales. And I know it's very tempting to go, yeah, but I know those 100 people. And I think all 100 of them will want to buy or at least 80, at least 80 of those 100 people will want to buy. This is where it is important to focus on the light. This is what, where and why it is important to focus on the light. Because what you think you know about your audience in the end sometimes can hurt. If you ask, ask if you're like, but my, my friend told me she was going to buy it. And my family told me they were going to buy it. And sometimes they say it and then they just don't because they forget or because, oh, I just can't add another book right now or, you know, can't, uh, for whatever reason, sometimes it doesn't happen. And the, the formula ends up playing out consistently. I'm telling you, the formula ends up playing out. <laughs> Abigail says so true. She's experienced just like we all have, but especially Abigail has been in the space where she's a public speaker as well. She has experienced the kind of thing. We, when you hope that other people will respond and they don't actually come to hear you speak or they don't buy your products the way you thought they would or, and so um, I just want to encourage you your, your question is, when do I start building the platform? If you build the platform after the book is published, it's too late. Because the room's empty when you have it. No one's there to tell about it. So the best time to start building your platform is today. The, be the, the best time to start building your platform is today. Whatever stage you are in your writing game, today, you got to start filling your room. So what draws people to your room? Sharing your content. And that's the magic because so many new writers feel really, really um, protective. Like, I don't want to tell anybody what I'm writing about because somebody will steal it. And they'll finish it before I write it. Or what, and we, it's called holding the gold. 
Well, if you don't share your content and really share your heart and share what you have to teach, nobody's going to come to your room to listen. So you want them to come to that room so that when it comes time to stand on the stage, you can say, have this here. You're going to want it. Now, um, I, I want you to feel encouraged for anyone who's like, but my, well, great. Thanks for that, Nika. My platform's small. I would say to you, Zechariah 4, 10. Do not despise small beginnings for the Lord delights to see a work begin. Do not despise small beginnings for the Lord delights to see a work begin. Hey there, did you know that your vocation is what you're paid to do, but your calling is what you're made to do? If you're ready to step into your calling, let's go. God is advancing the kingdom through Christian books. He has given everyone a spiritual gift, and it may be that one way you can exercise your spiritual gift of prophecy, teaching, exhortation, service, giving, organization, or mercy is by writing a book that will bless other believers and go places that you cannot go yourself. If you don't know how to write a book, put yourself under the mentoring of an experienced Christian author who will pray for and guide you. Join the That's Keep me. Writing course, an all-in-one online experience that I've created to take you through the process of finishing, publishing, and marketing your amazing book. Inside, I offer step-by-step -step lessons and weekly biblical coaching live. Together, we'll solve any problem you face in the name of Jesus. There's simply nothing else like this anywhere. So if you're ready to join us, go to nikamaples.com and click on the Keep Writing course. Get started today.